0: But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. I am a man discovering destiny. I am a father leaving a legacy. I am the King of Israel. I am David. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you for that welcome, and uh, great to have this start of a series. You know, it's a doubly masculine day for us today. Doubly masculine because it's Father's Day. It's a day when we celebrate our fathers, and for those of us who are, we celebrate the privilege of being fathers. I have three children, and it's a great privilege, as well as a pretty varied job description being a dad, isn't it? I was uh, thinking about this yesterday. Uh, In the last 24 hours... I, um, I climbed a tree with my daughter to take photos of, a, of some chicks that had just hatched in a nest at the top. That was one of my jobs. Uh, and then I fixed our outside light, which had been smashed by my son with a golf ball. That was another job, bit of DIY. And then I persuaded my third uh, child, our youngest son, not to eat a worm that he had cooked on a fire in our back garden, convinced that he's bare grills. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) It's a pretty varied job. As well as Father's Day, though, we're also launching this series on the man, David. David was a very masculine king of Israel. He had a tender heart, but he was also a tough kind of man's man, I suppose. He was a fighter. He was a warrior. He was the kind of guy, well, David wouldn't have watched costume dramas. Can I say that? or cookery programs, these are all the way, men should not be watching these things, is that right? Yeah, you're not so sure are you? (laughs) David wouldn't have worn a pair of skinny jeans either, can I say that also? I hear a few amens for that. Or been posting on Pinterest or crying watching Billy Elliot, he wasn't that kind of guy, He was a man's man, but he had a tender heart. And the result is we've got a fantastic story, an amazing story with more drama than a box set on Netflix, <laughs> or if you're over 50 EastEnders, or whatever it may be that you're into. This is an amazing story. It's both ancient. It's set around the late Bronze Age, about 1000 BC, in the, what we call the Old Testament, In fact, it's such an important story, more space is devoted to it in the Old Testament than any other character. Only Jesus gets more attention in the Bible than David. Pretty important stuff. It's an ancient story, but it's also a modern story. What I mean is, as you listen to this series, you're going to find, I find, that themes from David are exactly relevant to my life and the kind of things that we have to be able to deal with and overcome as we live in the modern world. Now, last year as a church, we actually did a series on a female heroine, if you like, in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. This time it's a male, David. But interestingly, David is actually the great-grandson of Ruth. So if you remember her, in a sense, we're continuing that story. And just as I, as a male, found I learned a huge amount from the female story of Ruth, in the same way, males and females, we're going to learn a whole load from this story of David. Now as I kick it off today what we've seen as you hear the reading is that David uh, sorry God has called Samuel the prophet to find a new king for Israel and he's told him that the new king will be found from one of the eight sons of Jesse who lived in a village that you may have heard of Bethlehem. <laughs> Ring any bells? Samuel goes to Bethlehem, finds Jesse's household, and begins the process of hunting out from amongst his sons, if you like, the best man, the man who will be the man of men, the man who will be king of Israel. And as this, if you like, sort of male catwalk unfolds, all of Jesse's boys parade past Samuel. If you like, underpinning this scene is a question, what is a real man? What is, or in this case, who is the real man? The shock of the story is going to be that the guy who wasn't even on the list, who wasn't even invited to the event, will in fact be chosen by God, which makes us rethink what is a real man. You see, when it comes to defining a man or a woman, really there are two main ways to go about it. Either we go for externals, and we define according to externally, or internally, what's on the inside. We live in a culture, don't we, that like Samuel, immediately what we see is the externals. And so often we judge the book by its cover and we decide the value of a man or a woman according to the external uh, aspects. Samuel sees the oldest who's first to come past him. He's the oldest, which means he would have been the wealthiest by inheritance. He's also the biggest. And Samuel looks at him and says, well, surely he is the one to be king. We live in a culture that hasn't moved on much from defining people by externals, but the problem when we do this is we can end up with a very superficial society. We can end up that we feel hollowed out on the inside because all that seems to be important is parading a certain image. And we can find a disappointment that the leaders that we elect or the partners that we select become a disappointment because we've judged the book by its cover. Now, in David's case, either side of him in the historical context are two kings, his predecessor, King Saul, and his successor, King Solomon, who illustrate the problem of defining a real man by externals. In Saul's case... Why was he chosen to be king? Well, pre- purely, it seems, because of his physique. We read this. Saul was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Saul was a big guy physically. He was muscular And if you're going into battle, you want a big king leading the charge, right? So they chose Saul as the first king of Israel purely, it seems, because of his physique. Now, again, we've not moved on much, have we? Body image is such a dominant theme in how we seem to value women. If you just look at some of the billboards, you beach body ready, have you seen that advert? It's all about waist size. That'll be the definition of a woman's worth. And in men's case, I have to say I'm not a subscriber to Men's Health magazine, but if I was, the front cover gives me the headlines for what it means to be a real man. You've got to have a six-pack, and you apparently need to learn the six ways to supercharge your sex life. I won't go into those. Those aren't the six points of this talk uh, this this morning. (laughs) But the fact is, we read from culture a script, a, a narrative about what it means to be a real man or a woman, and it's primarily judged by the externals. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with working out, with keeping in shape, with being athletic and sporty. Those are great things. But they are never the measure of a man or a woman. You cannot finally, thank you. You cannot finally assess the worth of someone by externals. And when we do, we run the risk of people wearing masks. This is what happened with King Saul. He was externally impressive, but he became hollowed out and rotten on the inside. He ended up a king who, though externally impressive, was full of insecurities and anger And as a result, he ruled a kingdom with an atmosphere of intimidation. Did you hear the clues in the story? People are fearing violence, people are trembling with fear. When a man is defined as merely a set of muscles, it's no surprise when hollowed out of character, we find intimidation, anger issues, things that are rife in our society. We need to encourage men and women to find a much deeper definition of what a real man is. It's on the inside. If that was Saul, he was defined for his physique. After David comes his son Solomon, he was defined for his finances. (laughs) If Saul was about muscles, Solomon is all about money. We read about him that he was so wealthy, all of King Solomon's cups were made of gold. Silver was no longer considered valuable. He was the suited and booted, wealthy, loaded male... And that can get a lot of attention. I remember someone saying that a man is like a bank account. The more money he has, the more interest he receives. <laughs> but that's superficial, isn't it? It's superficial. And money, when it becomes the love of our lives, can corrupt and again hollow us out on the inside. There's an erosion of character. That's exactly what happened with Solomon. He became greedy, he became cruel, he became a womanizer. And after his reign, his kingdom faced civil war and a whole split of the kingdom. That was his legacy. You see, when we live in a culture that defines men and women, that you're worth, by, you're worth by externals, we find that we create all kinds of moral and social problems as a result. Are we not living in an age that has externally never had more and yet we've never seemingly faced more depression, self-harm, eating disorders, all kinds of self-esteem issues as we parade images on, through social media of, of what our platform and profile should be and yet on the inside there's an erosion going on that leaves people feeling, I don't know who I am anymore. Some people even wondering whether life is worth living anymore. I read a really disturbing article in The Telegraph that was online that was entitled, very clever title, Save the Males. (laughs) Not Save the Whales, Save the Males, the Growing Crisis of Masculinity. It was noting that men are increasingly struggling to deal with the pressures of personal, professional lives. And as a result, there's a spike in male depression and male suicides. Apparently, if you're a male between 20 and 49 years of age, the most likely cause of death will be that you take your own life in that period of time. Because you've reached a place hollowed out on the inside. You don't know who you are and you don't know what life is all about anymore. Now into that kind of scene where we judge the book by its cover and we hollow out on the inside, God brings a whole new definition. A whole new way that saves and liberates us. Here's the key verse. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He sees from the inside out. And he wants to see and save and make us from the inside out, the kind of people who know who they are in God and know how to live life to the full. That's the call of God. And that's what Samuel is therefore called to see as well. You see, there's actually different verbs used between the verb for what Samuel sees and what God sees. Almost as if to say they're completely different visions. Samuel has sight, but God has insight And he sees into David's heart. If Saul was about muscle and Solomon about money, physique and finances, David is chosen by God because of his heart. That's what made the man who he was. And that's why God chose him to be king. There's a great phrase. What a wonderful title for our ambition for this series. That David was a man after God's own heart. That should be the definition when we ask the question, What is a real man? Do I hear an amen? A real man is a man after God's own heart. Now, that does not mean being soft. I think we've said that. David was not soft, but it does mean being strong and channeling and harnessing that strength to save and to help and protect others. That's what we're going to see with David. It doesn't mean being soft, but it also means having a tender heart that knows God's love and that loves God in return. David had a big heart for God. He was a man from the inside out, and as a result, he wrote hundreds, we think, of songs and poems called Psalms. He wrote them to God as this tender warrior who was also a worshipper who loved to sing and praise God and put his trust in him. You may have heard some of these phrases. Here's one of David's psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. In another psalm he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. And he also, in another psalm, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. I think that's a real man speaking. A man who knows he needs God and he's a man after God's own heart. Gentlemen, especially today, I want to encourage us to take a step up on the inside. to I don't like this phrase, actually, but to man up on the inside. People use that. I think, what do you mean? But on this occasion, what do we mean? We mean becoming a man after God's own heart. You know, I was fortunate. It's Father's Day. We're honoring our fathers. I honor my father. I was fortunate to grow up with a father who, on the one hand, was a man's man. He took me to some pretty wild places when I was quite young, uh, up high mountains in Scotland especially, and he'd come and shout at me from the touchline on the rugby field as well. He was a man's man, but he was first and foremost God's man. I can remember coming into my father's study on more than one occasion and interrupting him on his knees in prayer, being told to leave because he was busy with business before God. I think as a boy that instructs you about what a real man is. It's not just about something on the rugby field, it's something on your knees. It's about being a man whose heart loves God and is after God's own heart. I want to encourage us, especially men, but all of us today, that's how we should answer this question. What is a real man? A man after God's own heart. And that's why we're doing this series. Because in a world that tells us to invest on externals, to invest all our time and energy on image and externals, This is an opportunity to invest from the inside out, to be committed to a series that's going to show us how to become men and women after God's own heart from the inside out. I want to encourage you, come on this journey, even if you're new to this church, come on this journey with us and let's explore what it means from the inside out to be a man after God's own heart. Amen? Amen. Firstly then, what is a real man? A man after God's own heart. Secondly, what does a real man need? Speaking of pressures on men today, I heard this rather sad story of a husband who'd become so stressed that he required medical intervention. he got very serious. He'd gone to the doctor. The doctor was very concerned, so much so that he actually called his wife into a private meeting with him, left the husband outside, and sat her down and said this to her, you know, your husband is experiencing very serious levels of stress, and if you don't follow my instructions carefully, he could die. Number one, he said, "These are my instructions. Number one, he must start the day with a lion, followed by a cooked breakfast in bed." Number, <laughs> amen. Number two, keep saying amen. They get better. Number two, throughout the day, compliment him, don't nag him, and don't ask him to do anything that he doesn't want to do. Number three, number three, make love to him at least daily. Doctor's orders. Didn't hear any amens then. I was expecting a few of those. Come on. Number four <laughs> make sure there is a continual supply of his favorite food and beers. Serve these to him whilst he's watching TV, but do not interrupt him. Now, the doctor says, Do this for 12 months, and I think there's a good chance that your husband will survive. Anyway, they're driving home together, husband and wife in the car, and the husband asked the wife the obvious question, so what did the, uh, what did the doctor say then? To which she replied, he said you're going to die. <laughs> 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 what does a real man need? What does, real, <laughs> what does a real man need? You know, we are born, not as great men or women, we're born as male or female, but ultimately as babies. I heard of a Scottish village, a tourist had gone there, convinced she'd heard that someone great, uh, someone famous, came from this village. So she asked the local, were there any great men born here? To which the local brilliantly replied, name madam, only babies. <laughs> <laughs> only babies are born. There's a process of growing into a real man or a real woman who fulfills God's purpose. And I want to give three things that I think are crucial to that process unfolding in our lives. The first, as it's Father's Day, is we need a dad. We need a good father in our lives. Crucial to David's development, though very much unseen, behind the scenes, is his father, Jesse. David will take the limelight as the hero, but but Jesse is, if you like, the unsung hero. He was the one who, from nappies raised David and instructed him so that he became the kind of man that he should be. David, throughout the rest of the story, will be known as the son of Jesse. In other words, not just a biological descendancy, but in some way a spiritual heritage, like father, like son. Again, today then, we are highlighting and honoring the role of fathers absolutely crucial to the development of every human being is that they have a dad who is a good father. Now, in that sense, Billy Graham is surely right in saying that a good father is one of the most valuable assets in our society. And if we are fathers today, I want to encourage us, as well as Father's Day being a day, if you like, to honor fathers, it's also a day for us fathers to receive a fresh sort of, you know, kick up the backside, this really matters, My role with my children, especially when they're as young as he is, is the most important thing on my to-do list, second only perhaps to loving God and loving my wife. It is absolutely crucial, and actually on Father's Day, it's a great day for us to be reminded of that, because you will not find the world reminding us of this very well. You won't find Men's Health magazine, the front cover, just a picture of a dad with his kids. That isn't what is held up. You won't find cultural aspiration for this, but we need to remind ourselves it's the most important thing on our to-do list. So fathers, may we freshly be envisioned to invest in our children. Amen? But I appreciate some of us maybe inwardly thinking that's all very well and saying that if I'm going to become a, a great man or woman, I need a great father, but I don't have one of those. I haven't had one of those. My father hurt me. He didn't help me. He abused me or abandoned me or whatever it may be. Or maybe he just wasn't there through no fault of his own. He died when you were young or whatever it may be. You know, Father's Day may be a poignant day for you. To a certain extent, it is for me this this Father's Day. My father at the moment is very ill and barring a medical miracle won't be around much longer. You know, I appreciate today can have that sort of bittersweet feel to it. But listen, if you're feeling that, I want to encourage you, whether or not you've had a healthy earthly father, you can have a heavenly father. And he can make us into the men and women that he wants us to be, with or without the help of our earthly fathers. Amen? Jesus Christ has brought us into a new prayer, our father in heaven. He's the one who can heal our hurts and bring us to wholeness in his name. So whether or not you've had a great earthly dad, can I encourage you today, Father's Day, call on your heavenly father and he will answer. Firstly then, we need a dad. Secondly, we need a destiny. We need a sense of destiny. That's what David gets more than anything else in this passage. He was, as the passage begins, left out in the fields, all the other brothers under consideration. Him seemingly too young or too small, too insignificant... He is the one who was not picked, who was left out. And yet suddenly he must have heard one of the servants from his father's house shouting his voice, David, David, he's called to come back to the house. Now whilst that was a human voice that was calling him, we as the reader now realize that was also a divine call. God was calling this man Out of all of his hurts and feeling of being marginalized, he was calling him to a whole new destiny and purpose. I want to encourage you today. God is calling men and women out of their hurts, out of ways you may feel that you were not the one chosen, not first place, not picked, Through my voice today, I believe there's a divine voice calling you into a new destiny like God did with David to find in him, in God, a whole new purpose for living. Now, if we don't get this, we can feel very empty despite all that we can parade around our lives. No matter what goals we have or what dreams we chase, making more money and having longer holidays and reducing our golf handicap and driving faster cars. You know, again, there's nothing wrong with those things. But we were made for more than all of those things. We were made for God. We were made to have a sense of divine purpose that God is calling our lives because he's going to use our lives for his kingdom and for the good of this world. Now, when we find that, we find a whole new energy from the inside out for life. When we don't have that, we can feel empty. I was sitting next to a guy on a plane recently. Uh, flying, we were flying back from Hong Kong, and he'd moved over there, made an absolute fortune, been very, very successful in the media industry. And he was flying home. We had a really nice chat, and he was saying to me, I said, you know, why are you headed home? What's the reason for your return? And he said, well, I need, I've taken a month off work. He said, I just need to get my head straight. He said, I've been so busy with all that he'd been achieving, he said, "I don't know who I am or what it's all about anymore." And it was a, for me, it was a powerful reminder that we can have a huge amount of external success and wealth and achievements. But what it's all about is beyond those things. What, it's, what life is really all about consists in more than anything can be bought by money. It's about God's divine call and discovering your destiny. In fact, this is such an important part of this series that the first half we've entitled Discover Your Destiny. Because through the life of David, we're going to find a call from God that's bigger and greater and more, more envisioning than anything we can get from this world. And then the second half we've called, leave a legacy. Because we're also going to find that as we discover our destiny, God shows us how to live for the things that will really last and really make a difference. Can you imagine David, after the scene that we've just had, he actually went back to looking after the sheep. So he sort of was called out from the mundane God anointed him through Samuel with oil signifying the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And then he goes back to looking after the sheep for a period, as we'll see. But can you imagine him returning now to his ordinary day job, if you like, back to his family, ordinary life, but now with a sense of divine destiny coursing through his veins? I want to encourage you, if you feel an emptiness from the inside, a sense that there's more to life than you've discovered, I want to encourage you, if you put your faith in God, who is calling you even through my voice today, he will send you back even to the mundane things of life with a whole new sense of purpose. Amen? A dad. Secondly, a destiny. And then thirdly, a deliverer. Here I just want to press fast forward for a moment and look at how this story unfolds. Because whilst all that I'm saying sounds incredibly exciting, and it was for David, he will become king. He'll become king over the whole of the nation. He will found the city of Jerusalem, which will then be known as the city of David. He will become the most successful king Israel ever had. And yet, on one dark day, At the heights of his own palace roof, David's heart fell to the depths of sin and shame. The hero becomes a villain by committing adultery and then to cover over that dark secret commits effectively murder. The one who was meant to be the solution becomes part of the problem. When the hero of the story becomes the villain, we're left wondering, what's the hope now then? And that was where David was left. He was left after a dramatic fall, praying this prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God. And it may be that some of us today, we know that there's a great call, we know there's a higher thing to live for, but we also know that we have fallen, that we've got stuff wrong. It may be that you've had moments of madness like David has, where very dramatically, you did something, that you now regret, in a moment, a lifetime where you regret it. Or it may be a bit more subtle than that. It may be that more slowly, a gap has opened up between who you are in public and who you really are. And there's some dark secrets in your heart. There's some stuff that you've hidden away that you're ashamed of. You may be just like David. That's why we've called this series, I Am David. Because there are moments where we're just going to identify with him. That's me. I know I've screwed up. I know I need a deliverer. I echo David's prayer, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Effectively, that prayer is saying, Can I be forgiven for what I've done? Could I start over again? Can my future be saved? And if those are your questions today, I've got good news for you. The answer from heaven is yes, yes, and yes. God sent Jesus Christ as the answer to David's prayer, to our prayer, that we might have the hope of forgiveness. Born in David's town of Bethlehem, through David's family tree, Jesus will be called Son of David. Jesus came into this world in order to bring hope to everyone who identifies with David. I've screwed up and I need forgiveness. There are things in my private world that are a mess and I need help. If that's your prayer, then there is an answer in the name of Jesus. He took into his own flesh and body all the stuff that we've messed up and died for it on the cross and rose again to offer us this world that's broken, to offer us a new start. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. If that's your prayer, Jesus Christ would say, I can start work today. If you will let him in, he can start work today and make something new of us from the inside out, the masterpiece we were always intended to be. You know, when I hear about David, I, from an artistic point of view, I can't help but think of Michelangelo, the great 16th century sculptor, Renaissance artist, And he famously took on a challenge. There was a block of marble that, legend has it, had been quarried. Most sculptors had written it off as too big, too clunky, fractured. It was a bit of a mess of a piece of marble. But Michelangelo, like no one else, had a vision for that block. He saw inside it, if you like. He saw something in it, and he took a hammer and chisel, and over a labor of love of two years, he began to bring out of this mess... What he had seen from the inside. He produced the most stunning depiction of a man. This man is David, just before we think, just before he goes into battle against Goliath, pensive and determined. Here is Michelangelo. He brought that out of a mess. It's a stunning example of a man who had a vision for something and as he worked at it, brought it to being. I want to speak over everyone that can hear me right now. God has a vision for your life. God sees through the mess, through the brokenness, to something that he wants to bring out, a masterpiece that he can create, even in the most broken of hearts like David. And if you will let him into the inside, from the inside out, he will begin to work today to call out of you what he's made you to be. Amen?